0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we're going to tell you how you can go to infinity and beyond. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. Is Jurassic World Dominion as bad as they say it is? I'll let you know. And I'll also take a look at the now-concluded season three of HBO's Barry. And I'll tell you about a new documentary about one of the biggest pop stars in the universe, J-Lo. It's called Halftime. But is it worth your time?
1: Doomsday clock might be out of time. Come back.
0: I always come back. We're on the verge of extinction. Let's all try to stay positive. Nobody said saving the planet would be easy. Is that a dinosaur on your shoulder? Yeah. Why?
1: We PG-13. Jurassic World Dominion has almost has made almost $400 million worldwide so far, so it's well on its way to being a big success against not great reviews. It's a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, the lowest in the franchise, and this movie, it's not as bad as that Rotten Tomatoes score would suggest. For starters, it's a lot better than the last movie, Fallen Kingdom. That remains the absolute low point of the franchise by quite a bit, I would say. Now... Is Dominion in the same league as the original? No, it's not. And it never was going to be. And I don't really understand the reviews that are lambasting it for not being as good as the first one because there have already been four sequels that were not nearly as good as the first Jurassic Park movie. And to think that suddenly this new sixth movie would be is just ridiculous. Judging this movie against uh, Jurassic Park 1 is pointless, but there you have it. As a modern blockbuster in the year 2022, as a continuation of the last two Jurassic World movies, it's fine. It heightens things. It has a plot that, while ludicrous, is serviceable enough to get us some good dinosaur action. And I don't know what else people would expect complaints that it doesn't have the the sense of wonder of the original i mean no duh that was 30 years ago times change in 1993 it was a huge deal to see a realistic dinosaur on screen and now it isn't because we've seen it for 30 years i will grant though that this plot in the new movie is too convoluted and the movie is far too long because of it it's in the two an hour 20 minute range i will say the time mostly flew by. It didn't feel too long, but there's still no reason for this movie to be that long. The plot revolves around this giant corporation, Biosys. It's a bioengineering, pharmaceutical something-something, and they've taken charge of the world's now dinosaur problem, but they might also be up to something evil, because of course they are, because there's always a big evil company at the heart of these things, and they have this dinosaur sanctuary in a valley in these mountains in Italy, and of course the dinosaurs are spread out all over the world. They escape captivity on the mainland at the end of Fallen Kingdom, and Now it's four years later, they've multiplied, they've spread out, and we do get some great fun footage right at the beginning of the movie of how the world is learning to live with the dinosaurs. It's pretty wild. Maybe the most disappointing thing about this movie is that that's not what it's about. After quickly bouncing around the world and picking up story threads from all these different characters. Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, plus some new faces. The action kind of leads to the Biosys facility quickly. And we have another installment of, you know, people trapped in the park with the dinosaurs. And the different characters have different reasons for all arriving there. But when you're being chased by a T-Rex, it doesn't really matter how you got there. And that's the fun of the movie. I think the most successful thing the movie does is some of these scary encounters. There's stuff here that feels like it really belongs in a horror movie. I think they could have made a really good horror movie out of this. Ultimately, though, it feels like not nearly enough people were eaten by dinosaurs in this movie for some reason. And there are some truly silly stuff. There's a scene involving a laser pointer that is seriously too dumb to mention. That comes to mind quickly. But for every weird or bad decision the movie makes, I found it didn't linger. It just keeps chugging along and I thought it was entertaining and that's all I was really asking for. Maybe one of the problems it's also had in its reception is coming on the heels of Top Gun Maverick, which showed the world that it's still possible to really make just a kick-ass sequel to something. Again, that's one sequel 35 years later, not the sixth movie in a series. I would suggest if Tom Cruise makes four more Top Gun movies, the last one won't be any better than Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, It it was fun to see the old gang again as well. Uh, Sam Neill doesn't do a lot of running and jumping like he did in the first one. He's in his 70s at this point. The hardcore action is, you know, mostly saved for Chris Pratt, who's become the action hero. They could have put a few more laughs into it. Again, squandering Goldblum a little bit. Not as bad as they squandered him in the last movie, but it's also not quite as gold bloomy as you might want. Surprisingly, I was for some reason most excited to see Bryce Dallas Howard and I loved her performance she also gets the most horror movie scene as she tries to escape from a very scary situation it's really good uh, it would be worth re-watching Fallen Kingdom if you're going to see this if you haven't seen it yet there's a lot of plot stuff with the kid in that movie that has continued here. And I honestly couldn't remember any of it when Dominion started. I guess they do explain it well enough, though. I was able to, you know, pick up what they were laying down kind of thing. Overall, I thought it was a lot of fun, even if it was ultimately a little underwhelming. I don't think it's as bad as the critical lambasting it's received, but it's also not a top-tier Jurassic Park movie. I think my rankings of the six movies would be uh, Jurassic Park at the top, easily followed by... The Lost World, Jurassic World, then Dominion, then Jurassic Park 3 and finally Fallen Kingdom. Uh overall, 3 couch cushions out of 5 Brett for Jurassic World Dominion, not as bad as the critics would have you
0: believe. All right, I'm good probably I think I'll go check that one out because uh although I should probably rewatch both Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom before I go, because I don't remember anything from that last movie. <laughs> but, I know,
1: it's bad. and it's it, That's the crappy thing is that this one sort of relies on some of the knowledge from that one, but to make people re-watch Fallen Kingdom is cruel and unusual. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so that was new last weekend, going to be another big weekend for that one for sure. And this one as well is going to have a big weekend, no doubt. And this movie hails... From this. To infinity and beyond Toy Story. And of course, the voice of Buzz Lightyear, one of the iconic characters in the Disney Pixar Toy Story movies. He's a spaceman, voiced by Tim Allen. This weekend, we have a new animated film which reimagines Buzz Lightyear as a real spaceman, and it's simply called Lightyear.
1: Buzz Lightyear mission log, stardate 3901. After a full year of being marooned, our first hyperspeed test flight is a go. Who
2: are you talking
1: to? Uh, no one.
2: You were narrating again. I was not.
1: Just doing the mission log.
2: You do know no one ever listens to this. I know that.
1: Narrating helps me focus.
0: Chris Evans, a.k.a. Captain America, does the voice this time around, and Buzz Lightyear is getting ready for something big.
2: Ready, Captain Lightyear?
0: Ready as I'll ever be, Commander Hawthorne. This is exciting.
2: A new adventure. I'm going to grant you four minutes to be off planet, but then you come right back to us. To infinity
1: and beyond. You are clear for hyperlaunch? People, people, people. Buzz? That was utterly terrifying, and I regret
0: having joined you. That voice at the end, by the way, is his robot companion, Socks, who is shaped like a cat for some reason, but it's fun. The test flight seemed to go okay, the hyperspeed test flight, but there's a problem. Buzz Light you to Star Command. Come in, Star Command.
1: Why don't they answer?
0: Ugh. Hey, hey, shh! The robots.
1: The what? Mm-hmm. What is happening right now? Alicia?
0: Oh, no. That's my grandmother. But, Socks, how long were we gone?
2: Meow meow, 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 62
1: years,
0: 7 months, and 5 days. What? So Buzz's flight was only a few minutes long for him, but he jumped over 60 years into the future. Didn't expect that, I guess. Now he and a crew of misfits have to work together to take down the bad guys who have taken over and hopefully for him, get back home.
2: Failure imminent in three. Grandma always said she believed in you, too.
1: One. There was a big swelling, too. Oh. I think I need a bag. No,
2: no. Please record your last words.
1: Do not vomit inside
0: the vehicle. Do not vomit inside the vehicle. If you are satisfied with this recording, speak or select oh. one. The movie looks great. Evan sounds great as Buzz Lightyear. It's getting good reviews at 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think this might just be another must-see on the big screen to infinity
2: are you trying to get me to pull your finger don't fall for it no not like that
0: sorry it's a thing your grandma and i used to do yeah what do you think braun
1: it sounds cool looks cool uh yeah i I would watch that i haven't seen toy story 4 yet so i don't think i will be catching this one in theaters i I gotta catch up on my (laughs) pixar first but it looks it's a weird novel idea i like that they've gone in this bizarre direction of uh doing the backstory of the toys from the Toy Story movies.
0: I will tell you that the Toy Story 4 was good, but not nearly as good as its predecessors. Uh, I can't remember what I gave it, but I just remember being a little... And let's see here. I think I've got it. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Toy Story 4, whereas I gave Toy Story 3 the sectional. Yeah, five out of five. You
1: like that one? Yeah, I love that movie,
0: and uh, that was a good year for best picture nominations. I think we went through all of them, and we made we 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 were able to make like a pretty definitive argument for each one of them that this is the best picture. So. Uh, I should watch that movie again. I love it so much. In a moment, we're going to tell you about the new Jennifer Lopez documentary that just dropped on Netflix. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. There are very few people on the planet whose name can be boiled down to three letters... And be so recognizable. J Lo Jennifer Lopez, one of the biggest stars on Earth, and she is the subject of a new documentary on Netflix that debuted this week. It's called Halftime.
2: Part of being a great performer is being aware of whoever's around me right there. You feel me? It's not just about if you're getting off with the step. It's about if we're getting on with the step. Yeah. I don't just go... Has the camera got me? (laughs) But I'm also saying that the camera got me. Because I can do all of that at the same time.
0: So this popped onto my radar when my boss actually asked me if I'd watched it. She enjoyed it and was wondering if I had any thoughts on it. So I thought, oh, might as well check it out (laughs) because... Tough research, 90 minutes of Jennifer Lopez. Oh no, whatever will I do? Uh, It's described as follows. Halftime offers an intimate peek behind the curtain, revealing the grit and determination that makes Jennifer Lopez. The film serves as the kickoff to the second half of her life as she lays bare her evolution as a Latina, a mother, and an artist, taking agency in her career and using her voice for a greater purpose.
2: I lived in the public eye. And I really believe a lot of what they said. Diva. Serial bride. How do
0: you feel about your butt?
2: You did not just ask me that.
0: I did. If I was in front of Jennifer Lopez and she said, you can't sing, I'd go, neither can you. I said to her once, doesn't this bother you? And she said, I expected this. As far as titles go, halftime is about as perfect as it gets, I think, considering that she feels like she's begun the second half of her life. And because the primary story in this documentary is about the 2020 Super Bowl halftime show that Lopez co-headlined with Shakira and all the prep work that went into it and the ensuing bumps in the road.
1: We are on the edge of being able to get this on the
2: field. I can't do it if you guys keep just pressing us. I'm trying to give you something with substance. Not just us out there shaking our... I want something real.
0: More on that in a moment. Also during that time, while she was getting ready for that halftime show, she was right in the thick of awards season, thanks to her role as a stripper in the movie Hustlers. Do you think you'll be nominated for an Oscar? I mean,
2: I hope so. Hustlers first reviews: Jennifer Lopez is Oscar worthy.
0: It was hard. So as far as the halftime show is concerned, there was frustration from Jennifer Lopez that she had to co-headline, not because she didn't want to share the stage with Shakira, but in previous years, it's there's one headliner, and then they might have a special guest. So this time, they had to share, and even though it was important because, you know, two Latina women on this stage for the first time ever, and it was in Miami, so it was a perfect location for that, but they each only got six minutes for the show so that made things difficult and there was also a political component of the show near the end of lopez's set which was almost wiped out by it sounds like by donald trump that it was implied that it came up from essentially the top of the food chain in the u.s because she had these kids come out in these uh these like spherical almost cages and that it was seen as sort of a comparison to the detention centers where kids were being pulled at the time. Hustlers, they spent a lot of time focusing on how she did not end up getting nominated for the Oscars. Almost like it was some sort of a crime. Hustlers is a good movie. And to be fair, Jennifer Lopez was outstanding in that film, probably her best work ever, but lots of people get snubbed for the Oscars. And the fact that the movie was just kind of good, not, I would, I don't know that I would call it a great movie. I did like it, but so I I don't know. I I think they spent just a little too much time on that. Some really neat moments though, uh, behind the curtain stuff, like where she's trying on various gowns for the golden globes. You know, we always see these stars when they're on the red carpet looking awesome. And Jennifer Lopez maybe is the best at that in terms of her dominance of the red carpet. But To see her just kind of in the background picking a dress was fun. You know, she's saying, "Ah, I don't know about this one for the Globes, but maybe the Palm Springs Film Festival. Like, (laughs) how how specific is that? And I don't know if this is true, but remember when she wore that famous green versace dress at the Grammys in 2000 It had this long plunging neckline right down past your belly button it's a lovely dress it's a sexy sexy dress and in this film they say Google Images was more or less created because of that dress so I don't know if that's accurate but you know it makes sense because that was quite the dress and it was the the film overall was interesting in the sense that we do get to all this behind-the-scenes stuff and see just how hard this woman works. She is a machine. Seeing how much prep work went into the Super Bowl halftime show was nuts and how hard it was for her to keep her portion to six minutes. But um, she's the only person who gets interviewed during this film. And all that time they spent on her not getting nominated for Hustlers, I don't know, it just felt like a vanity project. didn't feel like a documentary, it just felt like a... Look at me and look at how awesome I am. If this were, say, a special feature on a DVD, I think I'd be completely fine with it because it's just a bonus feature, but it's not a great documentary. Still interesting enough to keep me going, and it's tough not to respect Jennifer Lopez for everything she's accomplished because she worked hard and continues to work hard. Remember, she's in her 50s. Certainly doesn't look like it. So I think I'm going to give... Uh, Halftime, a generous three couch cushions out of five. In a moment, got to find out how was the third season of Barry. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And HBO's Barry wrapped up its third season this week with a bonkers finale.
0: We've both done terrible things in our lives. But I believe you can be the version of yourself that you want to be. He told me he's gonna be okay, and that he was right. People can change. Yeah! Barry Berkman did this. Oh my God. Forgiveness has to
1: be earned.
0: Everybody deserves a second chance. <sighs> I'm like legit nervous. <laughs>
1: Barry is a comedy, and when it's funny, it's very funny. You expect that, obviously, from Bill Hader, who stars as Barry. But what you don't expect, even after three seasons, I think, is how well he does drama, not just in his acting either, as he is pretty much the main director of the show now as well, and he writes a lot of it too. The show began as this high-concept thing where Hader plays Barry, a hitman, who wants to become an actor in Los Angeles. He joins Henry Winkler's acting class and befriends the other actors, who, of course, don't know about his other job. And then over the course of three seasons, he, he kills some more people in his orbit get drawn into the criminal side of things and either try to kill him or try to turn him in. And by the time we get to season three, he's mostly doing damage control and trying to stay one step ahead of the law. It's always sort of always been like that. But the acting for Barry in season three really takes a back seat, And that's where a lot of the comedy came in. Now, the show is still funny, but the ending of the season really wasn't. The finale for season three was a dramatic showcase Very light on laughs, very heavy on characters being put through the emotional ringer. His ex-girlfriend, for example, Sally, she's still very much in the acting story. Uh, It's pretty wild while people are being killed left and right in every other corner of the show. Sally's Adventures in Hollywood are just as stressful to watch because her life depends on the whims of all these Hollywood executives and stuff. And she takes it so seriously. It really feels more life and death than a lot of the actual life and death stuff going on. It's also a terrific uh, satiric takedown of Hollywood. But in the finale, she gets into some literal life and death stuff that's just astounding, knowing her history and just the way they shoot the scenes, um, this other character, Noho Hank, also finds himself in a life and death situation, which is like something out of a horror movie. And he's the character that is almost exclusively comic relief. He's incredibly funny, but the horrible situation he finds himself at the end of season three is no laughing matter. And again, props to director Bill Hader for how he shot that scene. It was very effective. The Henry Winkler and Barry stuff from all seasons comes to a head in the finale as well. It's a, the main event, and again, it has some surprising twists and turns along the way, and it all ends in a way that makes you wonder how they're going to get out of it. Uh, that's been the popular take I've seen this week anyways. How could they ever continue after that finale? Well, they can. Hater says they've been writing the next season since last year already, and uh, season four has been confirmed by HBO. The show has pulled itself out of corners that it's painted itself into many times before, including just two episodes ago when a character was poisoned, so it It's what they do. I have no doubt they can do it again. I will say the ending does make you wonder how many more seasons they can keep doing it because... The story is cumulative and stuff happens that has long reaching consequences. And frankly, if Barry continually can wriggle out of every consequence, it'll just, you know, it starts to lose its power. I do have absolute faith, though, that Bill Hader will figure out the appropriate course of action and end the show at the right time and not, you know, drag it out year after year. I don't know what his career aspirations are at this point, but he's very good at directing this show And I'm pretty sure he could already book more than enough work as a director for hire that he doesn't need to keep making Barry past its best before date just so he can continue to have a job. And frankly, Barry has been successful enough on every front that I'm pretty sure HBO or Netflix or anyone else would give him a shot at creating a new show if that's what he wants to do. I, I, in short, he's proved himself. He's said he doesn't need to drag out Barry out of worry that he won't be able to find another fulfilling project. He's written his own ticket at this point. Definitely at least one more season coming, though, which is good. I can't wait to see what uh, Bill Hader and friends cook up next. For now, there are three seasons of Barry's out there uh, on HBO and in Crave, and I highly, highly recommend them, Brett.
0: Yeah, I, I, I meant to start watching Barry before the launch of Season 3 because I had some friends who were saying they loved it and you were watching it and really enjoying it and I wanted to get to it and then I just didn't. And now it's on the list. You got <laughs> time. Added, added and it's it to short. The mile. It's a,
1: but there are only half-hour episodes and there's only eight a season, so it wouldn't
0: take you long to do yeah, that. Yeah, but I've got so much other stuff. There's always stuff to watch. What i got to figure out how to, how to fit it in, especially since I actually... I recently started watching The Clone Wars because uh, I I kind of went on a Star Wars rampage uh, in anticipation of the the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that debuted a few weeks back. So after I watched the first six movies, I decided to start watching the Clone Wars cartoon on Disney Plus because I always wanted to watch it, but I just never got into it when it first started airing because it started airing back in 2008, and it ended up airing for seven seasons, its final season was like a a revival final season that debuted on Disney Plus in 2020. So there are 133 episodes of this stuff. So I think that's one of the reasons why I never bothered with it, because I knew once I started that I would not be able to stop myself. But um, so far, it's really cool. They've got really neat stories with some... Tremendous action, and they go to places we've never seen, and we see species we've never seen, and I think whats what I'm really enjoying about it the most, though, is how much we get to see Anakin Skywalker in action with, with Obi-Wan Kenobi, because we just sort of get a taste of that in the Attack of the Clones when he's still a Padawan, but we don't get to see him really in action when he's a knight, a Jedi knight. Uh, outside of what we see in Revenge of the Sith, so to see the two of them go on their adventures and to see their their friendship and the respect that they have for each other and the, their contrasting styles, it just helps to further inform the tragedy of Darth Vader and their how their friendship fell apart and and uh, just ties in nicely with what we're seeing in the Obi Wan Kenobi show right now because I love what they're doing. With that relationship, with how you can tell, even though he's wearing a mask, you can tell that Darth Vader is still a petulant Anakin Skywalker who just wants to prove his old master wrong. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying the Clone Wars. It's a long way to go. I've only gotten through one season and a bit, so I still have over 100 episodes of this thing to watch. Whereas Obi-Wan Kenobi only has one episode left. Uh, Did you watch this week's Kenobi, by the way? Yeah, I, I I've been watching them all. Yeah, I,
1: I'm trying to think. My, my timeline has gone all blurry on me. Yes, I have seen the most recent episode, and there's only one left, eh? So that'll be over quick.
0: Yeah, and I'm hopefully there will be another solid duel between Kenobi and Darth Vader because this week's episode I thought was just terrific. And there are a lot of people who really hate this show. I don't I don't get it. Like there there is a a portion of the Star Wars fandom. I'm not going to call them toxic fans. They're just grumpy fans and they hate everything about it. They think that it's not a show about Obi Wan, that it's a show about Reva, and it's just Lucasfilm trying to sneak in this new character and use an established character to launch a new Star Wars property, and that they've, you know, emasculated Obi Wan Kenobi and made him a shell of himself. Well, that's the whole point of his journey in this series is that we we meet him 10 years after revenge of the sith and his whole world has fallen apart and he's basically lost his purpose and he's lost his his will really and he's just kind of playing out the string until luke skywalker is old enough to be trained as a jedi um and this is this show seems to be pointing us to how he finds his way back so i just i don't know why people get so mad about this stuff
1: yeah i don't even give those people the time of day, Brett, just ignore them. They're they will. They're the sorts of people that will never be happy with anything. You could give them a million dollars and they'd say, why wouldn't you give me two? <laughs> Fair enough.
0: In a moment, we have to tell you about the passing of one of the greatest character actors ever. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and one of the greatest character actors in the history of film passed away this week, the great Philip Baker Hall. He was 90 years old. His wife says he died surrounded by his loved ones. You know who he is. You've seen him many times, usually without even realizing he was going to be in the movie. Philip Baker Hall was a Hall of Fame that guy for years. I'd say by the end of the 90s, a lot of people knew his name. Like many, you know, the first time I really noticed him was in that episode of Seinfeld, where he played the incredibly intense library detective Bookman. Like he was playing a detective in a 1940s film noir. I feel like I've seen clips of the scene he does in Jerry's apartment all week long, so I don't want to listen to, so I'd rather listen to something else. Here he is, surprising Kramer and Kramer's girlfriend, the librarian, who are in the library after hours. Well,
2: the library's kind of a cool place when it's closed.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. You don't have to be quiet. Listen to the echo. Hello! 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 bookman
1: i remember when the librarian was a much older woman
2: <laughs> kindly
1: discreet unattractive we didn't know anything about her private life we didn't want to know anything about her private life
0: <laughs> she didn't have a private life When you're thinking about that think about this the library closes at five o'clock no exceptions this is your final warning got that qb down <laughs>
1: He's in one episode of Seinfeld. It's maybe the best guest spot anyone's ever done on TV. He also figured in the years since, he got between fifty and and $100,000 in residuals just for that episode. Uh, he's in the finale as well, I guess, so he's in two episodes. But I think he got a lot of mileage out of that first episode of Seinfeld in the early 90s because after that, he really did start popping up Uh, start popping up everywhere. Here's a list of movies you probably don't even remember Philip Baker Hall being in. Midnight Run, Say Anything, Ghostbusters 2, The Rock, Air Force One, The Truman Show, Rush Hour, Enemy of the State, The Insider, the talented Mr. Ripley Argo, on and on and on. He's got almost 200 acting credits on IMDb. He also did a ton of television, and he was uh, one of Paul Thomas Anderson's guys in the early going with a leading role in his first film, Hard Eight, and he also popped up in Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Always a well Welcome presence in whatever he would show up in. I'll definitely miss him. Philip Baker Hall passing away this week at the age of 90. Anyway, I hope there's no hard feelings. (laughs) Hard feelings? What do you know about hard feelings? (laughs) Ever a man die in your arms? Ever kill somebody? What is your problem? What's my problem? Punks like you, that's my problem. (laughs) You better not screw up again, Seinfeld, because if you do, I'll be all over you like a pit bull on a poodle.
0: That is one tough monkey. The fact that they never brought him back for like a follow up or a sequel, I think is a testament to just how great that show is and how smart it is, because by not trying to recreate it or, or expand on it. It makes it, as you pointed out, probably the best guest spot ever, and one of the most legendary episodes of television, I think, ever. Yeah, and Jerry, Jerry's
1: very smart. Like that, he would know that. Oh, if we bring him back, like there's no way it can be better than it was so why would we even try because we'll just all we'll do is dilute it and bring it down and seinfeld was very much like that he always said the writers would come up to him and say this is a great idea we've done stuff like this before and he would always say that is not a point in its favor we've done stuff like it before i don't want to do it anymore so he, he, he you're right he knew seinfeld was uh he knew about stuff like that and they knew they had lightning in a bottle with that one episode of philip baker hall how
0: could you ever top it and while we've got a couple of minutes left here, I've been meaning to tell you about this. I just keep forgetting. But I watched this a few weeks ago when it debuted on Disney+. Plus, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Real Hollywood story.
1: Chippendale Rescue Rangers. The show that defined the generation and turned two unknown chipmunks into international superstars. Sometimes. But his success took Chip and Dale to new heights.
0: To many more seasons of the Rescue Rangers, we were living the dream. Dancing the Roger Rabbit with Roger Rabbit.
1: No one ever imagined. It could all come crashing down.
0: Torn by vanity. You look different. Hey, it's no secret I had the CGI surgery done. Consumed by temptation. My love of
1: cheese got the best of me.
2: I just love it so much. More please.
0: More please.
1: Is it possible that two living legends are destined to reunite?
0: Chippendale Rescue Rangers came out uh, about a month ago, I guess. Now on Disney Plus, I loved the Rescue Rangers cartoon when it was on TV in the early late '80s or early '90s, whenever it was, and. This so this is a really fun kind of celebration of that show, but it also kind of lampoons it in such a unique way. This and the combination the of animation styles in this is so cool because, as you heard there, Dale got CGI surgery, so he is CG animated, whereas Chip still looks like normal animation like traditional animation and the number of cartoon characters just for that alone I think it's worth watching just to see if you can spot all of the cameos because cartoons from every corner of storytelling pop up in this it's not just Disney characters we've got Transformers in there we've got South Park characters in there you've got anime characters it's really, it's ambitious. And it's the kind of movie I think that you could probably watch 50 times and not see everything that's happening on the screen. And it was just fun. Like it was, it was a fun nostalgia trip. And I would think, I th- I think I'm safe saying this. It's a live action cartoon that's entirely for adults because I don't think kids would get anything out of this. I shouldn't assume that, but they wouldn't know a lot of what's, what's happening. Like this is meant for people who watched, grew grew up with Chippendale, grew up with the Rescue Rangers and watched all those old cartoons. And uh, it was a blast. So I'm going to give Chippendale Rescue Rangers four couch cushions out of five. If you have Disney plus, you should watch it. And it was the voices by the way of John Mulaney and Andy Samberg, of whom you are a fan of both, right,
1: Mr. Braun? Oh, yeah, I love uh, And John Mulaney's uh, going out on tour. I saw people buying tickets for shows in Western Canada coming up this summer, so I need to look into that because uh, his stand-up show is great. If you got a chance to go see that this summer, go do that.
0: All right, that's all the time we have for the Couch Potatoes this week. And next week, who knows? Maybe we'll review Top Gun Maverick again because <laughs> <laughs> I want to go see it on that um that screen X thing, the one where they have the the sort of panoramic with the extra screens on the side where they they add footage. Like there are some shots where you get extra footage on the sides that they shot specifically just for that format. So uh, I don't know. I think I might need to go see it again. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are the couch potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.